BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today I've got a very special guest with me. My guest today is Alex Calder. Morning, Alex. How are you? Well, Morning. How are you going? Afternoon here. Yeah. yeah. Good, so, thanks. Um, just before we get started, so Alex, you know, uh, just maybe give the listeners a brief insight to who you are and what you do. Yeah. So obviously, I'm Alex Calder. I uh, born and raised in Australia, but now currently uh, head of sports science at Houston Dynamo FC, um, competing in the MLS. So uh, I'd be in my fourth season here at the club um, in this role. Uh, prior to that, I was with Orlando City, uh, also competing in the MLS for, for two seasons. Uh, and then, yeah, before that, I was working in the collegiate system and um, playing. And, and I was obviously back at home at some point uh, along the way there. Awesome. Um, Alex, thanks for a brief insight. Just, to, just before we kind of, you know, continue and get really delve into the conversation a little bit more, I just wanted to 
you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of listeners uh, for the podcast that are coaches you know and people from other disciplines within the game or within athlete development generally um a large part of the, a large part of the following and the listenership is also grassroots coaches or maybe quite in you know quite early on in, in, in their infancy within the coaching aspect so they may not be too familiar with what sports science actually is or means would you mind maybe just sharing a brief breakdown of from your perspective what it what exactly sports science is and what a sports scientist even does yeah that, that's actually a tough question man because i i reckon um the term sports science is, is kind of just thrown thrown around so uh frequently nowadays that i i have a feeling that depending where you work in your cohort and context that and especially country that it's it's taken a little differently um let's say for example at bigger clubs or or even australia um sports scientists tend to be really uh or can be really shouldn't say tend to can be off hands and and um very analytical in nature whereas other parts like smaller clubs or one-man shows in second divisions or england um they're very hands-on so I, I just think it's broad and, it, and it's kind of a big umbrella that underpins a lot so for me sports science is, is basically just using um theoretical foundation like knowledge basic knowledge and and being able to apply it in a practical setting and i think there has to be a blend of kind of theoretical and, and empirical knowledge to to be able to uh, apply what i think is uh sports science especially in this industry so just to kind of build on that and obviously you know you talk there you know you, you're currently based in the us um, originally from australia and you know, i'm not sure what the models are like out there but especially here in the uk um in england more particularly uh the fa the national governing body over here like to really kind of push this idea of the four corner model uh which is obviously you know looking at technical tactical as, as one the physical so social and the psychological elements um now typically um the sport of science is probably more heavily linked to the physical corner would you agree with that yeah yeah i'd say so would you say it's limited to that or there is elements of that which actually branch itself out to the other aspects as as, as a specific specific more specific areas rather than it just being a byproduct if that makes sense yeah i think yeah again it's really kind of different like a lot of a lot of practitioners that i know have taken different paths and and i, I know i've listened to a few of your other uh interviews where there've, there've been other guys uh in our field as well that have gone and done their coaching license like ua for c ua for b whatever it is uh and started to kind of delve into that technical tactical uh region and and again i i think because of how broad it is i think it's it's very dependent on well a what the practitioner wants to do and where they want to be uh in the long game and then b um what the demands are of of your environment and organization so um uh, to, i mean to talk about me specifically like i i think i have one coaching badge it might be an f license or something like that but for me i try not to delve too much into that um technical tactical area However, uh, I did play football for 20 years and, and I played, uh, I guess it would be considered semi-pro for four or five years. Um, so I, I can speak the, the language and talk the talk and talk to coaches and and um, still a rusty touch, but um, I'm still hands-on and on pitch and stuff every day. However, my kind of long run and end game as a, as a practitioner, sports scientist 
or whatever you want to call it, um, is to be the best uh, physical prep coach that I can be. So for me, I'd rather go and understand everything about physiology and sports science and everything to, to a point of obtaining a PhD, for example, as a, before getting my coaching licenses. And I think other guys in our field maybe have the opposite point of view. They want to be, you know, yeah. a, a UEFA B license before doing any other badges and things like that. So I think it's very interesting, but yeah, it depends like where you're at, but yeah, some, sometimes it can kind of cross over. Sure. So I mean, you, you've given me a few things to kind of just, you know, think about there. Just maybe just start with talk, tell us in terms of that physical preparation part, how, what does that typically look like for you? Um, how involved do you get maybe with the coaches that you work with in terms of um, maybe what the actual practices within the technical, technical elements look like as well? Because I think as, you know, as time has gone on, especially in more recent years, we're definitely starting to see more of a holistic approach towards um, not just youth development, but even, you know, athletes at the professional level as well. And what you tend to find is that more and more we've seen a multiple disciplinary approach where the coaches are, leaning on people like yourself to maybe create game-related warm-ups, position-specific warm-ups, um, movement, movement, or to maybe analyse and dissect movement patterns that are taking place within certain patterns of play and incorporating those into warm-ups or certain practices or exercise activities that they might be carrying out with the players, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that's like, yeah, that's basically spot on. I think, I think, for a, a, an organization to run or a football club to run really efficiently is, is yeah, it's a holistic approach and everyone's kind of leaning on each other. Um, if I'm talking about our environment, it's really, um, I think that it's a really, really good and uh, I don't know how, you, I'd call it unique, I think, but our high-performance manager, um, Paul Caffrey, he... Uh, he was uh, an assistant coach in the league prior to his role here. So he has the, the coaching badges and everything like that. So it's really interesting from his point of view that he thinks um, very technically and tactically, whereas my kind of first um, instinct is to think from a physiology standpoint. So I think those thought processes um, really complement each other. And I'm probably lucky to be in this sort of environment um, for exactly that. So let's say, for example, we're looking at drills and the coach wants to um, do a 3v3 or something on an intensive bias day. Um, our HPM will, will kind of come up with some dimensions that he like, uh, I've come up with, uh, recommend some dimensions and, and spaces and timing, importantly timing, um, that he thinks will be beneficial for not only the tactical technical elements, but also the physical. Um, and I'll provide, you know, some recommendations uh, and, and back that up with, with data. Um, why I think certain timing and, and even goals, even like GPS markers and, and goals, what we should be obtaining um, based on those. So I think when you hit all those angles, every different angles, and then the coach has obviously his input of, he wants to do 3v3 and, you know, have certain coaching constraints. Maybe it's too touch for, for this reason and this reason. So I think once you combine all those and then you, and then you come up with a drill that, that fits exactly, then, then um, yeah, you have a really nice, obviously, yeah, the cogs are turning pretty, pretty, you know, well there efficiently. Of course. Uh, do, do you think that we're, you know, we're at all in danger of maybe over 
analyzing over 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 maybe looking spending too much time on that data and actually maybe taking a little bit far away from what just just, just letting players play and I guess putting practices on which do what they said say on the tin if you like. Yeah, yeah, this this um <laughs> this is a good topic because I feel pretty strong about this. It, it's it's funny you say that. Because um, yeah, like I said, I, I played for twenty years, and 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 I have a pretty good like um, grasp of how the players feel as well, and 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 especially I, I understand where the coaches' emotions and stuff come from. Um, so I do see that happening from time to time, and I think a really good example is is going live with the GPS during games. Um, I'm starting to see that kind of more and more frequently now, like. I'm not taking a dig at those that do it, don't get me wrong, but for me, uh, in my point of view, I think that's probably going a touch too far. Um, and the only reason I say that is because for that for that exact reason, what to just requote you, um, what the player's got to play. It's now game day. If, if you're going live and GPS data on that day, like, I'd probably question what you've done building up to that. You know what I mean? That that you feel the need to go live. So I think, th- th- yeah, there is there is parts of 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 the job in the industry that that can get a little carried away. I think. Um, again, don't get me wrong. I don't, like if some people have different reasons, but if it's for monitoring players to to see if they've done too much, then they're probably not prepared in the first place. Um, so that's an example of I think of of that maybe taking the numbers too far. Um, and yeah, there's other there's other training examples, of course, like getting a bit carried away, maybe maybe pulling guys out for, for reasons that aren't super justified. But in saying that, I think I think that the sport and and the and the speed of the game has evolved so much that um, if you do have a coach that maybe is not seeing that from a sports science side of view, then then there's certainly um, the need for it and, and there is need for intervention. Um, not a lot of times, but but frequently, you know what I mean? So, mm. so you know, you, you spoke earlier about the environment you're currently in and, you know, you mentioned a couple of the environments you worked in in the past. Just just talk us through what, what does that role look like for you on a day-to-day and how has that evolved within the different environments or has it been quite consistent? Because I, I would imagine that maybe the people that you're working with have maybe slightly different approaches and different thought processes around the importance of, the, of your role A. Um, but B, also how much of an influence it should have on the work that they're doing on a daily basis. Um, yeah, like I've, I've kind of been lucky, actually, my, the past two clubs with, with Houston and Orlando with um, uh, my director, both like being coaches. Um, the, the, the director I had at, at Orlando City was Dave McKay, who's now an assistant coach in the league. So he's gone that route, um, like I mentioned earlier. So... Um, both similar thought processes, I suppose, uh, which means, uh, you know, the knock-on effect for my role is has been similar. Um, my current role at the club here kind of entails uh, uh, the SNC world, the sports science world, and the and the uh, return of play um, sectors as well. So, um, my role is as the SNC side has probably come back a little bit over the past three years. We've been lucky enough to hire a full-time SNC coach um, as of last year, who's, who's Anthony Narcisi, which has been great for the club. Um, so now probably my 
focus is a bit more on the monitoring side and the return of play side. Um, so day to day for me, like I, like I come in, we have a, we have a performance medical meeting uh, every morning, about two and a half hours before training. Um, then we'll go off and get started. Our medical team will, will, will start to, uh, you know, meet with the players in the morning. Players will start to roll in. Uh, for me, I'll, I'll take a few guys in the morning that I think are flagged uh, from the hamstring or adductor side of things and, and work with them individually uh, if need be. Um, and then, yeah, we'll go out to, when we go out to training, our, our HPM will do the warm up. Um, I'll generally go live with GPS and training. Um, if there's a return of play player, I'm most likely with them at the time. Um, otherwise, I'm, I'm helping out with uh, with training, watching training closely, uh, watching our GPS markers closely, see if we're, we're kind of doing what we what we think we're doing. Um, and then, yes, like there's times, you know, if we're doing a three v three and we got you know seven players and there's a guy that comes out, there's there's one of us that'll that'll take that player and try to match those. Uh, physical markers as well as getting a you know technical tactical element um, that's where we'll try to lean on the assistant coaches for some certain things um, so that so that everyone's hitting exactly what they need to uh, on the given day um, yeah then after that we go inside um, same thing from the strength standpoint there's there's bound to be someone in the gym uh, every day uh, we have team lifts twice a week um, and then Anthony will prescribe those from a, from a global point. Um, and if there's, again, if there's any hamstring or adductor guys, um, I'll program them. So now my role in the gym has been a bit more kind of isolating players. Um, I'm pretty passionate about hamstring. So there's, if there's guys that I flagged early in the preseason, then um, basically I'd keep a close eye on them for the, for the majority of the season. Just just on that, you're quite passionate about hamstring. Why, why is that in particular? And secondly, you know, within that programming that you that you do go into you know how much how much of an influence is or what are the variables you're considering more more specifically when you're designing that program in terms of how that fits in with their i guess their technical tactical program if that makes sense uh yeah well, yeah to answer your first one i think like the the hamstring stuff i again i was lucky enough to to um do my master's at acu australian catholic university uh, the master high performance for sport. Um, and that was, that was, um, so I was able to work closely with, with guys like David O'Parr, uh, Ryan Timmons and, and Jack Hickey, who are the kind of hamstring, uh, experts of the world. Um, so I was able to pick their brain and, and, um, you know, learn from, from under them. So I came pretty passionate about that. And I think it's, I think it's relevant because that's obviously the number one, uh, injury, soft tissue injury site in, in football and, and has been, um, and it's it actually the rates haven't gone down over the past 18 years. So um, it's it's certainly an area that I think that I think uh, our industry needs to keep an eye on. And I just obviously pretty passionate about it. So um, yeah, like we, I would use basic screening in the preseason and throughout the season with the NOR board and, and and other markers such as high speed running, sprint exposures, and things like that. And um, all that comes into play. So even going back to the first thing, if you're a sports scientist and and you're kind of hands off and you're just looking at things. I think what makes uh, a sports scientist go that extra mile to be a, to be a little bit more influential is, is being able to modify what you're seeing. So 
say for example, if I think there's a, there's a player that's that's at a high risk of of, um, of of a hamstring injury, like I'm working with them in the gym, and then when they go out to training, I'm watching them closely, whether they need to get a, a speed exposure, whether they don't, depending on the week. So it's um, I'll dive into that, and then um, same thing if they're going into a, a drill that's let's say an extensive bias day and they're doing three bouts of 11 v 11 for, for, I don't know, 15 minutes a pop, right? Um, and he's got a spike in his load. It's pretty easy now for me to say to our HPM or the coaching staff, I think he should play maybe only two games um, because he's at, he's at a bit of a risk. And we know, you know, the demands on a posterior chain for this, for this certain exercise. So it kind of all ties together, I think. Um, so I think, yeah, so that's kind of where I feel passionate about that. And, and um, in a good environment, we're able to influence it. So just just on that, then, you know, I'm, I'm now thinking, you know, obviously the environment you're working in is a professional environment. So it's probably going to be people dedicated for each of each one of these things. Um, and as I mentioned at the top of the conversation, there's going to be a lot of people working in the grassroots communities uh, where they might not have access to sports scientists specifically. What would you be, what would be your guidance and your advice for those that may be thinking, right, okay, I want to try and give my players, you know, that little bit extra and, you know, try and really um, stretch themselves to maybe start implementing some of, some of the stuff that you, I guess, are implementing. What are some of the strategies and ways that maybe can go about trying to affect the players on a physical level, whether that be prehab, uh, rehab, um, or just during the session in games? Yeah, I think, like, it's, it's kind of goes back to what you are saying before, like, are we getting carried away with numbers? Like, sometimes yes, sometimes no, but... I think it, like it can be done without without a lot of the technology. We just I'm just lucky enough to to have uh, exposure to it, which means I can do it on a much finer scale. Um, if I was a one man department, if it was just me, like working with with a youth or or a you know second division team or whatever it is, where I'm in an environment where it's one man, obviously I'm probably don't have access to that. So. Um, yeah, how can you just hit the hit the basics and do it well? For me, it's just identifying the, the low-hanging fruit and then just trying to execute uh, as best as possible. Um, and you don't always need to get sexy with it with GPS and stuff like that. Um, just basic stuff. So even training weeks, identifying when your games are, identifying the schedule, the environment, um, the non-modifiables such as travel and and you know, time of day and even field out here, that's something that, that we have to assess as well because of turf. Um, and then just working back from, from there, like where's, where's the days that you can, that you can consider acquisition days, um, whether that's an intensive bias or extensive bias, what fits best into the program. Don't, don't need GPS to, to know that. Um, and then basic things like RPE is, is, one of the most validated things for monitoring and it's like we still do it with, with a clipboard and a pen like we do it the most old-fashioned way because that's the most valid and reliable way um so i mean that's that's as simple as it gets and then as far as the other stuff the exercise prescription the hammy stuff it's again we don't do anything super sexy either like we, we're a very foundational uh strength program that, that we implement here and it's again goes back to low-hanging fruit we have uh, in our two um, lifts per week, we have um, one CNS kind of big strength pattern, um, whether that's a deadlift pattern or a squat pattern, it's basically going to be one of those two. So posterior chain dominant or an anterior chain dominant. Um, 
And then the supplementary exercises are fairly individualized. But again, if you're in a one-man environment, they don't have to be. Um, you can just kind of tick all the boxes as you, as you as you go through. You know, some unilateral work, some some different planes of motion. Um, as long as you're getting the adaptations that you that you want. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question. I'm kind of just rambling a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think, I think well, I mean. You know, I've got, I've got a bit of a fitness background myself, so I've got a good understanding of what you mean there. But obviously, a lot of the terms that you've used there, you probably might, might not, you know, land well with a lot of the listeners in terms of, for instance, if we go back to the first point, you need to talk there about the RP and stuff like that. You might maybe just expand a little bit on that and what that is and how that could potentially have an impact on the, the, the performance and the development of the athletes that they're working with, whether that be at senior level or, or even youth level. And it may be what stage of the, that youth development pathway they might have to start considering that as a variable if that makes sense yeah 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 that's a good point so um i think that i think that is rpe is a great point of start especially and we've we've tried to do that over the past couple of seasons here is educate our um academy coaches of what rpe is and, and how just that kind of um information alone excuse me can influence training and, and training decisions um, so basically, RPE is, is, a, is a scale of one to 10 um, that you ask the players after training, 10 being the hardest thing you've ever done and, and one being nothing. Um, so every coach will know when they're planning drills, like how difficult it, it, it's going to be um, from their point of view and what they expect. So I think from coaching grassroots coach, coaches should start with that. So like when they're planning their sessions, say, say it's a Wednesday and they, they want to do 5v5s, but they want to do like six bouts of it. They know they, they're gonna be, that's a difficult session, you know, six bouts of, let, let's say, four minutes. Yeah, just, just on that, I think, you know, you make a great point there and there's, there's a couple of things within that. So first of all, I think it's probably worth just highlighting that RPE and what it actually stands for. Obviously, it's a very perceived exertion. Um, I think for players to be able to assess whether they've act or how hard they think they've worked based on their their potential output for themselves. But also you've really you touched on a really, really good point for me there in terms of that day of the week. That that should, you know, just just maybe how important is that for coaches to really consider that? Because I know the amount of coaches that, you know, you say that coaches will know how difficult that session is. I think you could only really know how difficult that session is when you take into account, right, what day of the week it is, what is the what is the week been like so far for the players? Are there youth players who might have been spent, you know, spent two weeks off at Christmas and now they're coming back for their first yeah. session? It happens to be on a Wednesday as an example. Or is it, you know, the middle of March where they've been at school for the last six weeks returning from Easter break or whatever it is and you know, now now they're three days into the, into the new week, but they've actually had three full days of nine to five, if that makes sense, or nine to three or whatever it might be. So, you know, just maybe just talk a little bit about that and how important it is for coaches to understand, obviously, literally what RPE is and maybe how important it is even more so to just understand actually how much of a consideration you need to place on the day of the week, the time of the session, and then how that then impacts on the type of session they're actually having. Because obviously you, you touched on it earlier about distances, um, you know, using particular, you know, ranges of the types of areas and sizes and that you might use for your practice design, but also the, the loading of the players within that and how much you're expecting them to run, how many, whether it's going to be short distance sprints, whether it's going to be long distance sprints, whether it's going to be actually just completely low intensity movements or whatever that might look like. But obviously on a more, you know, I guess on a basic scale, if you're working with youth players, especially within grassroots communities and you might not have access to support where 
those things are generally observed, how important are those things? And what would you say are the key considerations that maybe coaches need to start taking into, into consideration or key variables they need to take into consideration when starting to plan those things and deciding exactly how not a difficult the session could be, but more specifically how difficult the session should be and mm. what it potentially impacts on how they can get about expanding and reaching those intensities in different ways because obviously you talk there about potentially doing an exercise that might have six bouts um so you might have six sets of that but then how do they decide how much rest goes in between the bouts how do they how do they decide how much work to rest ratio uh, and what that should look like so obviously like i said you know, a lot of, a lot of the coaches who might be listening to this and some not might have no idea about any of that where would you say they should start? I know that's quite a you know, fully loaded question there, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yeah, that, that's a massive, that's a massive question. No, but yeah, to, to start with that, I mean, that, that right there is, is, that's a million dollar question, but yeah, that's absolutely right. So, I mean, started with RPE, it's basically, it's a response. So the, the rate procedures version, it's their response to, it's a dose and response, uh, it's a dose and response game prescribing drills and sessions. So it's, it's what your dose is and then how they respond. And it's sometimes it matches to what a coach would think. And sometimes it doesn't. Um, and, and, and that's the thing. You don't want to let some of those things fall through the cracks. And, and what I mean by that is, is exactly your point. Say there was a big session on a, on a big day and maybe they've prescribed not enough rest or whatever. And they get all the RPS at the end of the day and they anticipate that session being probably a six out of 10 difficulty. And, and most of the players gave a six and there's probably two guys in there that gave an eight. Right? And, and going back to that same example, there's no GPS, nothing like that. And, and, and the coach thinks, okay, why was that higher for the, those guys? And, and then that obviously influences the next day because they've, they've given more than what's, what's anticipated or, or probably they've responded greater to what the dose was. Um, so the next day it's, 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 uh, not compromised, but it's it's going to be modified for those individuals. Yeah, just on that, then you know, is there? And obviously, this is subjective, but it should it should. Well, you know, what were your thoughts in terms of where the RPE should be sitting at? Should be should we be looking to work the players to an eight out of ten generally on a, on a general basis, or are we saying actually we're okay with a six, and if they respond better than that or worse than that, it is what it is. Obviously, every environment, is, you know, is is different. It's going to be subjective to a point, but I guess. That's, I guess, the first bit. And kind of just to build on that, you know, how important is it maybe for the coaches to maybe ask different types of questions and what type of questions would you suggest they ask in terms of maybe understanding more about how the RPE actually was impacting on the player? So as in this case, is it important for us to maybe find out what part of the practice or the drill, the exercise they found was most challenging or physically exerting for themselves or is that not important or is it just actually as a whole this is too this is this is an eight out of ten and just leave it at a surface level if that makes sense yeah no no that's that's absolutely spot on i think 
the power of RPE is for me is so underrated because it's 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 to your point, like where's it come from, where's this? There's so many influential factors that 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 are RPE um, like outputs like this. So it's like that that exact point. So I mean, an example that comes to mind is say everyone's done the same session, the exact same small side of games, but at the end of it, you want to do some some patterns uh, patterns to goal. Uh, and I've, I've seen this a dozen times, but say the patterns to goal are, are crossing and finishing, but a fullbacks are starting 40 yards deep and you and you you got your, you know, your number six, your centre midfielder lashing a ball to the corner, the fullback makes a run, crosses it, and your strikers are coming from the top of the 18, just coming in to finish. The fullback jogs back, goes again. Say you do 12 bouts each, each side, okay, from... My point of view, from a GPS standpoint, I know the fullback's still in sprint distance, right? Um, maybe the coach doesn't see it. It's just, just patterns. The RPE at the end of it, you know, it's all about looking for trends and seeing what's the influential factor. So the RPE, I, I'd imagine, and I've seen this a dozen times, that all the players, your strikers, centre midfielders, centre halves, they're all given a lower RPE to the fullbacks because your fullbacks are darting up and up and down the pitch. But a lot of times, coaches just often think, oh, it's just patterns. But you know, like for those guys, it's significantly harder. So, and then if to be even more like to be even more detailed there, even from an individual scale, there's players that, that see it that, that, you know, obviously influences them differently. Sometimes players don't sleep or sometimes all it takes is, is even a bad session. Some players can be actually moody and give a higher RPE because they're moody or, or, or they've just been training poor, but. Yeah, just just on that, then you know, how, how often do you get a situation where, because it, it is just a, it's an estimation to some extent, isn't it? Uh, you know, there's probably some player, and I'm just curious how often you maybe get a player who hasn't actually worked right up there, but thinks they're working up there, if that makes sense, and how you maybe dis, how you maybe kind of distinguish right, okay, well actually this person might think they're working at eight out of ten, but we know that they can work harder than what their 10 is perceived for them to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think that the really sensitive thing about RPE is, is and, and crucial thing to, to take into account, it, it's not wrong because like whatever the player gives, it's, it's their point and you can't, you can't tell them they're wrong because it's their per- perception and their perception is, is what they feel and it's what they, what they have. So it's, I think yeah, because I've I've come across this too where coaches say that's not a six, that's not a six. Why do you give a six? I was like, well, to him that's a six. You can't tell him he's wrong because that's how it is. I think I'm I'm looking at it more from a perspective of what if that player hasn't worked at a level yet, or they haven't been put through a, a series of exercises or, or or any activity yet to the point where actually their their actual ten that they're perceiving right now isn't actually their limit if that makes sense and how you know what how does that conversation then look for you guys is as, as a as a coaching staff or in your case as a sports scientist in terms of do you kind of as you as you say just take it as this is what the player is working at and that's it or you know or do you you know is the methods that are in place that you kind of use and look to utilize to try and stretch that player further if that makes sense um yeah so yeah i mean that's that's a tricky question so i think just taking that, if, if we see or if I've seen a player that's given a 10, um, the first thing is, is we see why and where it came from. And and because there are times where we give a 10 and, and we look and think, mate, did you really work at like, you know, balls that are all 10? Was that an actual 10? Um, 
but then there's there's a lot of questions there's a lot of questions to be asked and it's and it's probably more so more so imperative when it comes to grassroots and kids because um we'll take the grassroots one for example because because we're kind of going with that so say a kid does give a 10 he comes in and gives a 10 and and you think no he's he's worked harder He, he can work harder uh, but he's given a 10. So, I mean, he's not wrong, but then there's a lot of questions to be asked. So like, why, what happened? I, I try to um, intervene and ask questions and, and, and we've seen it before in, in the youth in the academy. Sometimes a kid um, is driving an hour and a half to training. Maybe he's late. Maybe he was up all night doing homework. He slept poor, comes yeah. in and he gives a, gives a moderate session at 10 and you're thinking, no, you can you can work hard or whatever but there's always something that influences it so for us it's heat a lot of times some players can't tolerate heat very well um so we've got guys coming from you know minnesota or, or other cold areas and they're coming here and training the first time in in humid um incredibly hot environments and then as a 10 you think well you didn't work that hard but there's something there it's just on that then you know you talked about the question and i think this is one of the key things i you know from the top of the whole RP discussion, I think would be really important to kind of lead into is that what are the types of questions then that you maybe you think coaches should or anyone looking to kind of support players on that side of things should be for asking? And within that, how much should we only be asking those questions when it's now this doesn't look quite right for us? Because I think a lot of coaches in it, I think just people in general, I think if things are going well, sometimes we, we neglect to actually question why. Why are they going well? What's working? What's not working? And I think this comes back to a previous comp- a point I was making earlier. How important is it to maybe identify what part of the exercise, if at all any part, is more challenging than others? Um, but also looking at what you've just said there, you know, they're probably, you know, they, they are traveling, they are doing this, they are doing all of that. How important is that? Do those factors then play into the development of that session to meet the needs of the individuals within it. So for instance, you, know, you make a really great point there, but especially in the grassroots community, I remember, I remember one of us, you know, about eight or nine years ago and I was working in a particular environment and I had a player that used to travel an hour and a half to get to my session. I knew that he was never going to be on time because he's coming from one part of London to the other. Um, he was never going to be on time, but he still wanted to be at my session. So rather than penalizing for it, I kind of, took that information on board, knowing that he's coming straight from school, he's going to be traveling this long, da, 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 da. you know, I guess try to facilitate the session for him in a different way where he could kind of just seamlessly move into it without feeling like he's been too far left behind, but also understanding that he might necessarily always give me the same outcomes and output that the others who have been there from the get-go might do. So I guess, you know, how important are those questions and what kind of questions are you, would you maybe encourage coaches to kind of ask other than the basic ones in terms of, you know, how's your day going? What you've been up to? Um, and you know, it, it, I'm thinking more about it from a perspective of asking those questions to maybe help players determine what might be a good routine for them on a daily basis, or or going into game day, or going into training days. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think that's um, well. Yeah, f- first off, if if RPAs unwanted RPEs are coming from something else like just like I mentioned before say it's patents to play or whatever and your fullbacks give a higher RPE in that same example a good coach's eye doesn't need to ask questions they only need to ask himself the question like okay what did we do in the drill that 
because the trend there is fullbacks are given it. Um, but to, to a different example where it's only individuals that are, that are considered outliers in, in you know, uh, the, the trends of, of, of the main group, then that's when you start to ask the, the player questions. And I think, I mean, the, the easiest question is to see how they go and like what's, what's happening and to, to know where they're coming from. Um, because, yeah, I mean, we, do, we even do that with our guys. We, you know, we ask them how they slept, how things are going. Like, we've, we've had the same, same thing happen because at the end of the day, they, they're human, right? So we, we even had a guy this year that come in and he was given high RPEs and we're asking the question and turns out, like we just signed him, turns out um, his moving company came in and, and they told him to help him move. So this guy was packing boxes and moving boxes and he came in all banged up. And, like, if we didn't ask the questions, we wouldn't have known that. You know, um, and it just started with like, hey, how's things going? Uh, what's news? And then, I mean, they'll tell you, oh, yeah, last night I was doing this, doing this, stayed up all night. And if it's kids, like, oh, I had all this homework. And I mean, kids get stressed and, and anxious too. And then that completely influences training. And that, that's to your point too. If, if they're in a car for an hour and a half, you've got to think, I think from a physiological standpoint, right? So they're in a flexed hip position, their knees flexed, they're probably jammed up in the car for an hour and a half. Now they're jumping into a session, like they're not feeling great. I, I know I wouldn't feel great. So you ask a question afterwards, like, you know, oh, how was it? They're not going to tell you, oh, my hips and knees are jammed up. They're going to tell you they sat in the car and then you piece that together. Like that's, 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 why, that's why I'm asking the question more specifically because, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that coaches might even overlook like that, for instance. You know, this is the type of other thing. You'd be sitting down for quite a while. You know, your glutes might not be active or whatever that might be. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, just taking those things in consideration, but they're things to easily overlook if the questions aren't asked or the context isn't provided. So I guess on that then, you know, is there, I think it can't, it can't, we kind of come, you know, full circle in the fact that, you know, could we be getting too much information sometimes and maybe focusing too much on those little things rather than thinking, right, okay, what is the things that we know we can control, if that makes sense? So we can't necessarily control if they happen to take an hour and a half journey, unless we're going to buy them a house close to the location, so, um, or, or something along the lines of that. So I guess from that perspective, you know, what would your advice to be to coaches maybe thinking, right, okay, how can I better prepare for these sorts of circumstances and these variables that might impact on the delivery of my session and the outcomes of my session? Because... Yeah, and it happens all the time where you think, you know, some of these something as simple as right, these players are traveling XYZ amount of time, or this player has stayed up the night before, could be a simple reason as why we often see situations where coaches have done a session with players or um, they've delivered certain specifics with players. And then maybe when it comes to the next session or even a match day, it doesn't quite transpire in the same way. Mm, mm. You, know, you get the age old thing of, you know, we, we worked on this before, we've done this, why can't you do it now? And it's just, it, it, some of these variables and some of these questions that you kind of you're, you're talking about there that actually piece together why these things aren't then working out or vice versa also piece together why these things are now working out if that makes sense yeah yeah no i think i think the the overarching thing is is for me is you just gotta you just gotta know your players like you gotta get to know your players and that's i think for me that's a bottom line technical technical physical it's just getting to know the players and who they are and, and what how their behaviours and traits because, I mean, taking that same example, coaches all the time say, we worked on this, we worked on this, but, like, have you got to know your players? Like, have you asked them? Have you quizzed them? Have you, have you, have you done that sort of stuff? You know what I mean? And it's, a, it's the same thing we do, but we do it from a physical side. You know, have you been doing your exercise? Have you, have you done this? Or 
um, how did you eat? Like basic stuff. I, I, did you drink enough water today? Like it's so, it's so simple, but it's getting to know them and it, and it's um and it's and it's yeah making making the the you know correct changes based on that. Just to build on that, then, how soon is too soon, or how long is too long before you make a change? Because you're talking there about getting to know your players. Some coaches, I mean, you know, you're, you're probably fortunate enough to be in a environment where you're probably seeing the, these players five, six times a week. So you're getting a lot of hands-on time to really get to know them, whether that be on the field, off the field, or in between, um, wherever else that may be. A lot of coaches maybe don't get that, um, unless they are in these professional settings or they're, they're in full-time environments. A lot of coaches probably listen to this, probably youth coaches in particular, um, whether that be in the, you know, the academies of the professional football clubs or whether that be in grassroots environments. So you know, what would you be your, you know, your, your advice to them in terms of, right, here are some good good places to start to have an immediate impact because you're talking about getting to know people and that that could take time. Mm. What are some of the maybe you know the go to things from the get go or is it do you know what just wait and assess and as things show up and reveal themselves then we'll then we'll tackle it almost almost a mentality of we'll cross that bridge when we come to it sort of thing. Um, I think uh, I mean in, in our environment that's why preseason is like an integral piece. Um, because the same thing happens to us. We will get 12 new players coming this year and, and I'm going to go and, you know, get to know all them because the same thing off the bat, like if if player comes in moody or if he gives an RP the first week, that's just extraordinary. You think, oh, my God. Like, you know, for me in that scenario, uh, you, you know, you, you got to take time. Like it takes a bit of time. From like a sports scientist point of view, I think about it like it's the same as, doing any sort of data collection. You need a decent amount of data to make decisions. Same same thing for coaches too. Like you need a decent amount of training sessions before you know something can be implemented. Uh, you need you need to, you know, a, a bit of time to, to understand what the players' um, habits and, and behaviours are like before you start to try to make, you know, change or significant change rather um, if that makes sense. So yeah, definitely. So I guess coming back to my question then, how soon is too soon if you're saying you need a decent amount of time in sessions? Uh, it's, subjective. <laughs> it's subjective, but you know, ultimately you don't want, you don't want to expect someone to go in there and just change things up from the get go. If because I guess you like you said, you've got to give it some time to see whether it is broken, needs fixing, or whether it's doing just fine, if that makes sense. But you know, is there a danger of maybe you know well, there is going to be a danger at all. Um where people are going to potentially come in or new people are going to come in and they're just going to change things up because it's what they know. And this is, this is, I think this is where a lot of coaches go wrong and, you know, even people in the wider disciplines. You're coming from a, you know, very, uh, I guess, strict phys physiology, back physiological background. So your, 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 your perspective and your lens is from that perspective. And there might be other things going on within the environment which don't necessarily align with your methodologies, your theories and your idea, you know, idea, your ideas around that. I guess at some point that's going to have an influence on what changes you then make. But in some, mm -hmm. in some people's cases, they make those changes before recognizing whether those changes are even needed making, if that makes sense, just because they've got an idea and that's what they've applied elsewhere and it's worked for them in the past, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think the, the, the whole concept of change in football environments and, and, and exactly what we're talking about, it's, it's actually quite similar to business because there's, there's, a, there's obviously this change management 
that that people go through and it's it's similar to like to, to grief or whatever i suppose where there's there's kind of phases of change management that you go through so it's it's natural for humans and players and athletes and, and coaches whatever it is to go through kind of these phases some go through quicker than others but in change management the first the first kind of phase is always denial so um it's the same thing when a new coach comes in or whatever that there's there's this there's this level of denial and, and stuff like that so you have to understand that so to answer that like if you come in too hot and try to make massive changes too fast too quick um you may lose the trust on, on the people that you have whether that's players or staff or or, or whatever um so that does take time and that that is completely dependent on what you're trying to change how quick you're trying to change it um and then the, the people that you're trying to change it within then there's then there's acceptance where you know they'll accept it but maybe not be completely bought into what you're trying to do and, and now i'm specifically talking about coaches and things like that um then there's the final you know embracement now everyone's on the same page and they've embraced the change and now now you've got the power to actually make more changes um quicker sooner and things like that so i think I don't think there's an exact time frame. There is, to answer your question, there is certainly a period of trying to make changes too quick, too soon. Um, and that's probably not going through the full pattern of, you know, um, it's what, uh, to, to, in layman's terms, it's just growing pains. You know what I mean? Like we just call it growing pains, but but there are, you know, actually phases that, that people go through. Yeah. So just, you know, just on that then, you know, you, you talk about phases, Coming back to your own journey now, you're you know as a practitioner within within the book, what would you say has been some of the biggest challenges for you when trying to maybe get some of these ideas across and implement them? I know that you've said that you've been quite fortunate somewhat to be in environments that are quite you know on board with what you're doing. Have you faced any challenges in that in in the sense of trying to get those ideas across and implement implement a program, whether that be on a collective or an individual level with someone? Oh, massive man! Yeah, I still I still have these challenges daily, mate. Um, no, it's 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 interesting you said that. I mean, from even still daily. So even at the club now, we're about to announce a new head coach, and this will be for me the seventh MLS head coach I've worked for. So the exact same thing is going to happen for me. It's like there'll be there'll be um, growing pains there. There'll be denial on both both parties. It'll take a while for, for us to kind of merge together and get a you know it'll be ebbs and flows, but to get a system going. Um, same thing for players. Players come in and we trade players, you know, within other teams. They're going to come in and say, oh, this is what I've done here. And, uh, you know, it's going to be up to us to say, yeah, that's great, but this is actually what we do here because this is our club uh, and this is how we operate as a, as a you know, organisation. So um, it's the same thing. So for me, for my journey, like I've, because I've worked in many different environments, like I went from the collegiate system to, to, um, Orlando City to, to the pro environment. Even that that was that was massive for me because um, the collegiate environment we're working with athletes between eighteen and twenty two years old, and that's a very kind of uh, authoritative environment as a practitioner. So um, the demands are pretty big as far as as implementing you know, foundational strength and things like this, but the way the majority go about it is, is, is heavy. And, and um, there's a, there's a big, there's a big kind of element of operant conditioning there as well. So um, 
there is times to be authoritative and, and maybe that's not necessarily in my nature all the time per se. So um, there was a challenge there for me to, to kind of uh, wear that hat, I suppose. Um, but then even going to, to Orlando City, like I, I made some, some uh, mistakes there from, from exactly that where I was, I was, you know, to some players, I was, I was a bit like that. Like, no, this is how we do it. If you don't like it, you know, bugger off. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of found out the hard way. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, we, I, I still face these challenges daily and, and I will this year as well, like with a, with a new gaffer and a, and a new staff. Um, there'll be times there where, where they'll kind of reject my ideas and, and, and recommendations, which is fine. Um, and you fully expect that. And it's all, it's all a part of kind of growing as a unit and, and showing that we're all on the same page. And it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's just not easy as, as said and done. Looking from the outside, we think, oh, new coach, they're just going to hit the ground running because um, it doesn't, it, it never works this way, you know, never works this way. Definitely. So I guess, you know, just as we look to kind of wind down, then what would you say is one of the biggest, uh, or if you've got more than one, brilliant, one of the biggest tips is that you have for coach or coaches maybe listening to this to think about, you know, straight away from the get-go now, moving on, you know, off the back of listening to this, what's the first thing they should think about going to do? Um, what's the first thing I should do? Jeez, I don't know. It depends if they're a winning, a winning team or not. <laughs> if they're winning, just keep winning. Um, no, I think, I think there's always room for growth with, with, you know, coaches and clubs and, and, and everything. So I, I guess for coaches, it's, it's, um, you know, never be content, keep, keep evaluating the, the circumstances you're in, keep, keep looking around, see, you know, investigating things that can be better um, because, you know, you mentioned it before that the worst thing I think a coach can say is this is how we've always done it. Um, I think that's, that's the worst thing. Um, the game is evolving. The game's getting better. It's getting faster, more physically demanding. I think there's always, there's always room for, for growth. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. I like it. It, makes, it makes, it makes complete sense. I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that I guess in there that you, that you've kind of shared with us today around, how coaches maybe need to think about how certain actions you talk about distances, range, range of, you know, range of types of movements that might, might exist within the practices and the expectations of that and how those impact on the player's ability to, I guess, perform and their, even their reaction and response to that. And obviously, you know, to some of the consideration in terms of what time, you know, the RPE elements and delving into that, you know, what time of the week, what the other impacts that like you talk about the player there who's having to move boxes when he's moving houses and things like that. And without asking those questions and understanding the context, we can often be in danger of maybe assuming that a player has even not worked hard enough or has worked too hard based on what we previously know about them without the additional context, if that makes sense. So mm. I guess, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot for me in particular for that, that coaches really can take on board there and think about in terms of how they maybe approach their sessions going forward and maybe even more specifically how they approach their interactions with their players, but also their reflections of how effective and relevant and appropriate their sessions actually are for the players within their groups. So I definitely think it, it would, you know, just even having an understanding of that will just help coaches or give coaches a base to start from in terms of how to develop more. connected relationships with their players 
by having having access to that information, if that makes sense. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's absolutely spot on. Connected relationships is, yeah, spot on. Yeah, Alex, just off the back of that, then, you know, if there was any listeners that maybe wanted to get in touch with yourself to find out a little bit more about the things that we've discussed or any other elements of the role that you do with Houston Dynamo, um, is there any way they can get in touch with you to do that? Uh, yeah, I'm on social media, of course, like everyone else. Um, Instagram is just my last name, called that underscore zero five. Um, and then, yeah, if you reach out to me on, on that or, or Twitter is the same um, and you want to dive in, like I can share my email with you too if you reach out to me there. So that's easy enough to find, I think. Awesome. Alex, just on a final note then, you know, I just want to say thank you for obviously being with me this, this, this afternoon for you. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's been a really insightful conversation. I'm sure there's well, it's going to be one that uh, the listeners can definitely uh, tag onto as well. Yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for having me, man. It's been um, been a pleasure. Awesome. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.